where we speak with experts and influencers in marketing, content, and brand publishing. We bring you the latest trends, tips, and insights so that you can help your brand tell its story and connect with its audience. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Brand Storytelling, where we speak to the best in the business from all corners of the globe. It's been a huge start to the year, and I want to thank all our listeners for your feedback on the new format of the show. It's great to hear so many of you are loving learning more about our guests, where they've come from, and what made them the success stories they are today. And don't forget, we'll have the full transcripts of every episode at newsmodo.com. Now, today, we're going to dive into the art of brand brand storytelling with an Australian who makes a living out of it. Now, if it involves arranging words in a row with occasional punctuation points, then Jonathan Crossfield has given it a bash. He calls himself a storyteller, mainly because if it fits in his business card better than a long list of writer, marketer, journalist, copywriter, social media consultant, speaker, what else, blogger, he'll be able to do the job. Jonathan, welcome to Brand Storytelling in 2016. And thank you for inviting me. Happy New Year. And to you too. It's a pleasure to have you on. Let's dig a little deeper and go back to where it all began for you. As a child, you say you're obsessed with stories from an early age. You grew up listening to uh, stories by Enid Blyton and reading those wonderful books. And you were very, very obsessed with Doctor Who and the BBC. What stands out in your reflections of storytelling in your early years? Well, I think it's fair to say that probably my earliest memories as a kid um, are involved with stories. My first memory of watching TV is Doctor Who when I was about three years old and I was a voracious reader from the moment uh, my mum taught me to read. So it wasn't a chore to teach me to read because the moment I realised that there were stories hiding in those words, um, I always wanted to know more. And I, be- I became quite addicted to reading anything that I could lay my hands on and, uh, and improving my reading so that I could read more things. So I was reading at an advanced age from quite early on, um, hence why I was ploughing through all of the you know, Secret Sevens and Enid Blyton's mm-hmm. and then onto uh, Doctor Who books as well when I discovered that they were available. Um, so I-, I think for me... Uh, Looking back retrospectively as an adult on what I was possibly thinking at the time as a kid, and I'm Mm. sure it wasn't nearly this conscious, I was fascinated at how stories would reveal different worlds to me, different experiences, experiences that I could not have had at that age or would not have had because I can't go to an alien planet. I mean, they're windows onto other worlds that um, you may or may not have ever have personal experience of. And I think that's sort of bringing it back to um, why they are useful to us today is important because in marketing, uh, in education, in a lot of fields, they revolve around trying to give someone an experience that they have yet to experience for themselves so that they then choose that product, if they then understand how to do this, that, or the other. Mm. Um, and so that's what uh, that's when I made the connection later in life to go, this is why... 
they resonated so much for me because I was learning about the world through stories and now I'm trying to educate other people or market to other people or persuade other people using stories in the same way. I, I read somewhere that you started to unwittingly uncover the world of branded content back in the 1970s through those collectible characters in the Weetabix boxes, <laughs> which is, of course, for our Australian listeners, the UK equivalent of Weetabix. Um, and they had those little um, characters and the scenes on the back of the box that you could play out. Well, it's one of my um, earliest memories of being obsessed about actually buying products, you know, <laughs> it's like a particular brand. It was like for, for the period that they would have those free gifts in the packet, um, it, it was like no other brand would exist. You know, mum, you've got to buy that one. Um, so, you know, pest of power, <laughs> which is not necessarily a great um, lesson to take from it. But um, it was tapping into the stories that I already loved. So um, what I thought was powerful about that, and I was reading about the Weetabix characters just a couple of weeks ago, which is why um, I started sort of looking into them again. And it was a conscious strategy by Weetabix at that time to tap into kids' obsessions with certain, you know, um, Walt Disney characters or with Doctor Who or with Star Trek or Asterix was a popular series um, and giving them a sense of play with their breakfast cereal if you like um, and so while it's not content in the sense of you know um, articles being read they are content in they give it they were giving kids the um, the tools with which to build their own stories you know uh, create a uh, you you would cut out a scene from the back of the box and that would become the theater that you could then place your characters in front and do things with and i must have been three or four when the first set came out which was walt disney's robin hood uh and by the time the doctor who set came out the following year <laughs> when i was about five this was just you know uh the best toy i could have had and it was flimsy cardboard from a cereal packet never mind all the you know uh actual toys you could possibly have bought from the store. So to me, it was a, an example of, uh, again, retrospectively, my child brain's not thinking like this, but it's a, uh, an example of a brand understanding how their target audience, in this case, they're targeting the kids for Pester Power. So mm. again, we don't want to necessarily take that lesson, want to play and, and, and build upon the stories that they've already got. They're tapping into the same parts of the brain that makes stories fascinating for us. That's why we like to play uh, with our friends and so on. We're always, when you're playing with your friends, you know, even when on the climbing frame as a kid, you know, it's not just you go on the swings, I go on the slide. If you're watching kids, within minutes, they're actually creating a scenario. The slide is now the castle and you've got to actually, you know, you're on the, 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 uh, the baddies and you're invading, you know, they start telling stories uh, with whatever they have available in front of them. The imagination just runs wild. Exactly. I was watching my, my nephew doing that over Christmas. He wasn't just on the couch. He was in, in an intergalactic spaceship taking on space invaders and meteors. It was quite incredible. So obviously Absolutely. you're very passionate about literature and good storytelling. Do you think this is a critical part of content creation for brands? Because there are a lot of, let's face it, different styles, different theories out there. And they're not all telling great stories, in my opinion, about, you know, the craft of storytelling in content marketing might not necessarily be right up there with um, some of the journalism we're seeing. How important do you think it is um, in content marketing now? 
I think it's important not necessarily to say that um, every piece of content you do has to be a story, etc., etc. I, I think we have to be careful not to overhype this or overstate it um, as you know marketers are sometimes want to do um, uh, you know, every, everything is suddenly going to be the silver bullet that's going to um, make you break out and and I think where storytelling is important and the the reason I like to talk about it is it gives insight into not the content or the tools that we use but how the audience receives it how our brains actually work, how we process information, um, how we extrapolate that information to imagine and predict what it means to us and how it's relevant to us and so we can make decisions. The way our brains make decisions is very, very close to the way that our brains imagine stories uh, because we will imagine outcomes for the various options in front of us you know if i buy this one and you sort of tell yourself a little story well this might happen i won't it's it's the bigger size so i won't need to buy another one for another year uh if i buy the smaller size i'm going to save more money so i can buy the other thing as well but i might have to replace it in six months we tell ourselves stories to compare and contrast uh, and make decisions and understanding how the brain works, I think, is a far better tool or uh, uh, way of then feeding that back into our content and saying, are we tapping into those natural processes? Which is, again, going back to the Weetabix story, they were tapping into, or Weetabix rather, uh, they were tapping into the way children naturally play. And that's why it was such a successful campaign for them. We've got to tap into the way people naturally make decisions or the way, the way people naturally think about products, yeah. brands, their world and their relevance. Did you ever think growing up and, you know, through this whole journey, we're getting a bit more of an image of how narrative storytelling and imagination became such a part of, of your world. And now here you are. And as I said in the introduction, you have Storyteller as your title. Um, and that, of course, includes all of those other capabilities. But did you ever think that you would end up being I guess titled a storyteller and is this business of brand storytelling growing or where is it at? The modern career path of the brand storyteller I think is just integrating it back into that um, established marketing thinking. There are marketers who still will talk about doing brand storytelling but still are really just pumping out the same content they've ever done and there are those who are naturally good storytellers who couldn't do it any other way than the way that's going to resonate with people. Uh, I think uh, those are the people who, by accident or by design, and as I say, I sort of fell into it by accident, um, will find a career telling stories for, on behalf of brands, or even not on just behalf of brands, but also, you know, I'm sure everyone wants to write a great book one day. Or you know, it's, it's uh, the obsession is telling stories. The obsession isn't necessarily marketing or whatever. I, I could probably give away the marketing side of things tomorrow, <laughs> as long as I was always feeding that um, my storytelling gene. Yeah, it's just a, at the moment, and certainly for the foreseeable future, I think um, the the marriage of the two is an area that's fascinating me at the moment because it's one that hasn't been explored enough. Yeah, and. That's why we're here. That's why we're here, yes. <laughs> okay, well, Jonathan, it's time for a short quiz. And after that, we're going to talk specifically about the Australian content marketing industry. We'll ask Jonathan about the biggest challenges facing Aussie content marketers and discuss the results of the CMI's latest report for 2016. So, Jonathan, it's time for a mad minute. Are you ready? Um, as ready as I'll probably ever be. So, let's 
give this a shot. Let's do this. What industries in Australia are exciting at content marketing right now? I think B2B has the opportunity to really break out. Who is an Australian content marketing expert that you admire? Sarah Mitchell. Nice. What is one of your favorite online tools that you use regularly? Co-schedule. Co-schedule. Check it out. Do you like using social media? Adore it. What social media platform do you use the most? Twitter. How do you manage your workflow? Erratically. <laughs> Why do you like content marketing? Story. What would you do if you weren't in this industry? Tell stories. Nice. And do you think brands can be relied on for continued evolution in the media as we know it? Absolutely. And your favorite website right now? Oh, crikey. Um, crikey. Nice. Oh, <laughs> Haven't been there well, in a while. Yeah, well, that that fits, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, that was the Mad Minute with Jonathan. And now it's time to get stuck into content marketing 2016 here in Australia. So let's hone in on the Australian market for a while. As you know, the CMI published a fantastic report regarding the benchmarks and budgets and trends in Australia for the year ahead. And I saw a piece on your blog, actually, um, Jonathan, that continues to look at um, the standout implications from, from this report. The blog piece, I think, was called uh, Why Content Marketing ROI is Actually Back to Front. Can you explain yeah. what you mean by this and what were the stats in the report that led you to think about this this way? There's been a regular discussion every year that the report has come out about how not enough marketers claim to have a documented content strategy. So this has been an ongoing debate about the um, the importance of having a documented strategy, um, documented goals and documented workflows and so on, so that you can appropriately measure and optimize what it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, what was interesting in this report was while Australia's uh, marketers claim the, the, the rate of people who had said they have a documented strategy had gone up quite considerably, I think. I think we are more than the US now. There were other stats in the report where the biggest challenge they were claiming, or I think it was the second biggest challenge they were claiming, was being able to measure and prove the ROI. Now, to me, those are not mutually exclusive things. You know, mm. if you have a content strategy, being able to measure the ROI should be a natural extension of that because your content strategy should state what your goals are. It should state what the targets are that you're going to achieve, you know, and therefore, you know, how are you going to measure to get those? So you should know whether your content has failed or succeeded because yeah. if the strategy tells you. It should, that's part of what a strategy is. Just to, to you know, use a, a wartime analogy, you know, it's like, yeah, you can't say you've got a strategy because you've just sent your troops in one direction. You've actually got to know which hill, hill you're trying to take and then you know yeah. whether your strategy succeeded whether you took or not that hill um th this is exactly the same the, the fact that so many people were saying um that they had trouble um measuring roi or proving roi rather uh, and that's a, an important word there proving roi yeah. uh, and also uh of conveying this to management versus the number of people who said, yes, but we actually do have a documented strategy. Those two things really sort of worried me that people don't understand what a strategy really should be. So you mentioned goals. Um, just to recap, Australian content marketers, in your view, should be measuring what exactly? Um, goals is very broad. Could you narrow that down into some, some ROI? Uh, well, it, it probably isn't going to be the same goals for every strategy for obvious reasons. Otherwise, we'd all be doing the same things. But for example, if you look inside your business at what could possibly benefit from the use of content marketing, 
um, or with the use of social or whatever it is you want to implement. Otherwise, why are you doing it to start with? So for example, you know, if you decided that we want to reduce the uh, number of support requests that come through our uh, call lines because obviously that's a cost to our business in maintaining a call center and so on. We can save times or we can reduce call time or whatever if we have um, lots of knowledge-based content that people can easily find and solve the answers for themselves. That might be, you know, so the, you've got a goal there, which is, you know, we want to reduce the costs of um, telephone or email support. Uh, the content marketing or the, the content strategy of using content to so that people don't feel they need to call because the answer's there is the way of trying to meet that. If you set a target about how you want how much you you want to reduce the call flow by, then that's your goal and your target. Yeah. I think there should always be that um, what problem are we trying to solve internally? Yeah. Are we trying to reduce costs? Are we trying to acquire more customers? Are we trying to whatever it may be? Uh, it's not always about sales, uh, of course, um, it, uh, but. Yeah. In some ways, it should be at least related to your bottom line, whether um, in revenue or saving money or greater efficiency, etc. Um, otherwise, why would you replace what you're already doing if it's working? You know, yeah. it's, it's it's got to be a better way of achieving whatever it is that your business needs to achieve. So it's a new year, or at least um, we're I couldn't believe we're about ten percent of the way through it. So if you haven't got your budgets and your plans in place, this is a good one for you. What should CMOs and marketers be looking to invest in with their content marketing this year? What do they need to consider before they get started? What would you say are the real pillars for focus there? Um, to have pillars, I think. Uh, I, I think the biggest challenge at the moment is standing out. Now that almost every brand you can mention has some form of content marketing, um, it's no longer enough just to do content marketing. Your content marketing has actually got to be really, really good. And I think, therefore, a better allocation of budget is to just spend a little time thinking, what are the standout pillar pieces of content that we could produce this year that we know we will produce of a higher quality or of a, a more exclusive nature than anyone else could produce, that no one else could do it in this particular way, uh, whether it showcases the expertise of your business in some way or um, uses a particular channel in a highly focused way, and, and then devote the budget to that. I'm a bit over the whole content hub, masses of content every day approach, um, because that's going to work for increasingly few brands. Mm. Um, I think it's probably far more effective if you say, rather than having doing all of that, which is a lot of work and a lot of resource, why don't we just work out what would be the four great ebooks that we could release at each point of the year that will reach our target audience and, and persuade them to do whatever we want them to do? Why don't we just produce two or three fantastic videos instead of like, you know, five? blog posts no one's going to read every week. So I, I, I think it's working out what you guys already do well, if there are particular channels that your brand has already worked out what to do that, that you do really well, and doubling down on those, you know, taking yeah. money away uh, from areas that are less effective, reallocating it to where it's more effective, and you may produce a lot less content this year, but the goal is to actually make it far, far more effective. 
And as Joe said a couple of weeks back, have a plan. Absolutely. I think it's so important that we have a plan and we actually put a strategy behind it because otherwise you're just really shooting in the dark. What key points would you say uh, should be considered when investing in content marketing? What it is you're trying to say first, so what's the story? Um, and it's usually the customer story that you're trying to tap into, not um, your own brand story. No one could care less about uh, how many bra- uh, branches you've got or the history of your business unless it's relevant to their decision their their own um, experience um so i think knowing what it is you're trying to get across and picking the most effective ways of getting it across yeah so again it comes back to having a plan and having a goal and um being very focused about that not just producing content because you think this is going to be a fun piece or because this is something that you you are interested to say does it actually match the focus that your uh, message should have. And that really leads to my next question or topic for conversation, which is a lot of the mistakes that we see that uh, tend to be made again and again. Um, Probably looking back last year, I'd say the Your Taxis campaign was one of the (laughs) biggest balls ups um, of the year. Maybe give our listeners a little bit. I know you know a bit about that one as well. Uh, Well, yes. um, I I think the hashtag Your Taxis campaign last year is a perfect example of what we just spoke about, which is a brand not understanding the customer story, but wanting to tell their own. Yeah. Um, and thinking the two were the same thing, which was quite wrong in this particular case. So it, this was a strategy run by uh, Melbourne Cabs, Victoria Cabs, um, to improve the public perception, that, or the brief was to improve the public perception of the cab industry in Victoria. Uh, particularly now that um, Uber is uh, making inroads and so on, so the cab industry is feeling a little um, under siege. So that was the brief, and they used a PR agency to um, produce this, and what they came back with is um, the idea of highlighting customer stories about their positive experiences with cabbies. Uh, they created a website where people could submit their feedback. Um, you know, so that you could you could tell that little story. You could fill out a form that says, you know, um, the guy that brought me home last night who was absolutely fantastic. He helped me with the shopping up the stairs. That was what they were expecting. <laughs> For our international listeners, I think it's worth pointing out, Jonathan, that there's a lot of wonderful things about Melbourne. Our taxis, unfortunately, aren't one of them. We have, I would say per capita one of the lowest um i guess uh services ranked services in the world um we have a lot of issues with our taxis and so this was really a campaign to try and drive interest and support for our taxi drivers but as you're saying it really backfired and all they got was they were bombarded with um with instagrams and and tweets with the hashtag your taxis of shocking experiences of um being in the back of taxis and the the uh poor service that people experience so probably something that um um, would you would probably notch up as one of the worst campaigns of 2015. What about one of the better ones um, that you could look back on? I know I've talked about Alex Malley um, and the Naked CEO as you have. I mean, that kind of thought leadership and that content creation is so engaging, isn't it? It is. And I think um, CPA, who, of course, are behind it, I think we're, are incredibly lucky that Alex Malley is their CEO. So, so there's, that, there's that sort of um, nice congruence of events when you get someone in a position of authority within a brand who's also a genuine thought leader. And thought leadership is one of those phrases that's banded around far too easily in this industry. But you want someone who is genuinely not only personable and able to 
present extremely well, which he does, and write extremely well, which he does, but have new things to say, have uh, ways of explaining old things that are possibly quite boring and uh, uninteresting to most people in ways that actually are interesting, which is... Um, in Alex Malley's case, very important for CPA. You know, most people couldn't care less about accountancy, except accountants, perhaps. But he makes it quite accessible. So I, I think that's a perfect example of knowing where your strengths are within the business, who your talents are within the business, and then working out, well, what's the best way of harnessing those, which they have done, and then giving it free reign to, to, to do that. And he's, uh, being the CEO, I'm sure like, no one would try and box him in any way, but uh, he's able to do a huge amount of stuff, which sometimes you think, how is he able to do his day job while he's doing this? Well, this is his day job now. You know, this is what he does. So it, it's recognizing that content marketing or these processes that we're talking about or being able to tell stories isn't necessarily, you know, an add-on or an extra that someone has to cram into their job description. It should increasingly, if for the right people, be part of a big part of their job description. So it's a natural extension of their work. And as it is, I know for you, you live and breathe brand storytelling and storytelling of any nature. I know that you say that you um, you literally can't let your brain stand still. And I know you continue <laughs> to learn and uh, try and develop your own storytelling capabilities. As we start to close down, Jonathan, I'd just love you to um, share with our listeners what drives you, where do you look for inspiration, and what can others do in this space to become better storytellers for their own business? I mentioned earlier how, um, as I got into this industry, and I began to sort of see the links between what I was doing now and what I had done previously. That motivated me to research and read a lot more. And I think that's my, my biggest advice is to not just read the latest marketing book uh, or even content marketing book, but to read those books or do the research on the areas of, of these areas that we've been talking about that have remained constant for uh, centuries. You know, uh, last year I did a lot of research into um, rhetoric and Aristotle and how to produce persuasive arguments in your content, uh, and I found that it was extremely helpful to me in improving how I write, but also in in the workshops that I. Do to help others recognize how to improve their own writing. Uh, same with storytelling structure. There are books out there. So, so basically, get outside the echo chamber. Inside the echo chamber, there, there are some fantastic marketing books that should be read, like Joe's, like Robert Rose's. Uh, but if, if you want to be inspired, it's usually by uh, when you find two unconnected ideas and see how they relate to each other, which is the way I like to approach things. Take inspiration from areas that are not classical marketing and say, you know what, this actually still applies out here too because communication language and everything it's universal it's not like marketing's got a different way of speaking than everybody else so the more you understand about language the more you understand about psychology about content structure about storytelling structure and so on the better your marketing content will be as a result quite naturally jonathan it's been an absolute pleasure having you on brand storytelling you've had an incredible journey right back from your early days watching <laughs> doctor who on the bbc through to working with some of the biggest brands in the world um true inspiration within our our industry and I know that journey of yours is only going to continue on to bigger and better things in 2016 so thank you so much for joining us on Brand Storytelling to all our listeners all the show notes and the transcript will now be available at newsmoto.com thanks for joining us and we'll see you all next week thank you thanks for listening to find out how quality content can empower your brand head to newsmoto.com